What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hello and welcome to the People's Republic of Bajiria. I am your El Presidente for life, Allison Tiemann, and with me today is my Minister of Subjugation and Puppers, Brian Martinez. On March 18th, 2020, the governments of the United States and Canada announced a full closure of the Canada-U.S. border to non-essential travel, and it is ongoing. The Canadians are actually um, not allowing the border to open. With the closure of the U.S.-Canada border, the Western world is now in total lockdown due to the coup. But as we all know, social justice warriorism destroys the coup. It's it's it, we have found the vaccine to to the coup and and it is wokeness wokeness yeah <laughs> oh my god we don't need to go into space to discover revolu- revolutionary new vaccines all we need is wokeness and with the power of wokeness all were healed uh, this comes after the stock market crash and then rebound and and the price war between. Saudi Arabia and Russia. It's been it's been an interesting year. Uh, we are in unprecedented times, unless you want to count the fall of Bron of uh, the Bronze Age. But uh, yeah, we did actually go there with the last episode of Tower of Babel. But anyway, these are uncertain times, and uncertain times are scary times. But there's one thing I know: human beings are resilient. We reinvent ourselves and become whatever is needed to overcome our crisis. We did it when Africa turned into a dust bowl. We did it when the glaciers advanced. We did it when Ungrit burned and when Rome fell. The question then becomes how? How do we change what sparks it and what guides it? That's the question I've always asked here at Honey Badger Radio. And I invite you to ask it along with me during these very interesting times. So today we, uh, we're going to talk about uh, we're probably only going to touch on the biblical story of the golden calf, just just as an allegory for our current times. I don't know if I want to get into too much literary uh, or uh, theological analysis of the Bible today. Um, yeah, so uh, I think what we're seeing, uh, if I were to just sum it up in a in a, in a single sentence, is the emergence of a new secular religion in wokeism. I mean, we've already had a, a miracle curing of the plague through the powers of wokeism, and um, we're seeing some very interesting behavior. So, Brian, do you have some of the some of the interesting, fascinating behavior that we've been seeing in public today, and in, in reference to the uh, to the re- new religion of wokeism? Or should I shoot you a few links? Yeah, uh, maybe uh, shoot me some links. I know what you're thinking about um, the. Uh, yeah. Yeah, shoot me some links because um, I didn't I didn't grab anything. Uh, I yeah, didn't know I was I supposed think, to. I think so. a lot of the people who are who are watching us now know exactly what oh, we're talking about. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> like, uh, oh, this is this is a good one. Uh, a prayer march in Kerry ends with an act of humility. Apex and Kerry police officers washing the feet of pastors James and Faith Wakoma. Yes, I know about that pop that one up let's take a look at that now all right it's a reference to 
um, Jesus washing the feet of his disciples, I believe. Um, did I give you the wrong link? Yes, I did. Sorry, don't send that one. That is incorrect. That is a link to oh. how how uh, how family formation has a direct correlation to uh, wealth, prosperity, peace in a community. So if you want a community to be peaceful, prosperous, and wealthy, you want to encourage men and women to form families. And that's what creates a stable and prosperous community. But that's not relevant. I mean, it is relevant to the the, the culture and the religion of wokeism, but it's it's a little it's a, it's a few steps beyond what I wanted to start with here. So let me yeah. let me send you here. Let's just, this is this is this is the, the Russian roulette of freaking links here. There you go. That should be the right one. All right. So okay. Yep. Here we'll we have uh, photos of people washing the feet of um, black lives. I guess of black live black people. Or Black yep. Lives Matter supporters. Well, pastors. Well, you know they're black people, but they're pastors, right? So the references to um, it, it, as a, as one of the um, as one of the the defenders of this practice has said, it's 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 a Christian. Well, it is. It's from the Bible, in which um, Christ washed the feet of his disciples. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure how that really I'm not sure how that is a counter argument to the fact that this appears to be a new secular religion that's emerging. Yeah. With a particular uh with a particular orthodoxy and religious hierarchy. Um but apparently they they are pointing out that this it does have a correlate in, in Christianity. And I mean I I would say yeah. Yeah. Because this is taking over the the psychological hole that Christianity used to occupy. So yeah, it's going to take off of the rituals of human of Christianity. But that doesn't that isn't a defense over the this the suggestion or the observation. It's no longer a suggestion. The observation that what we're seeing is the emergence of a secular religion. Um, I mean, it's, <laughs> I think it's worse than that though, because um, Christ chose to do that as uh as as an act he was basically showing people his humility by choice i think these people i know that they are ultimately choosing to do that but there's a lot of shame that's sort of forcing them to do it you know like they're being coerced into this humility this is not something they would normally i think they would normally elect to do there's a lot of it's a shame well, culture is what I'm getting, you know? Oh, yeah, definitely is a shame culture. Now, the question of coercion, I mean, I'm pretty sure they probably consented to this. It's, I mean, and also yeah, ultimately, but I mean, what I'm saying is, is that they, when Christ did it, it wasn't like there were a bunch of people telling him that he must, you know, atone by washing the feet of these people. And then he ultimately kind of caved in and did it. He actually chose to do it. So there's. I, I it's a I, I get what you're it's, saying. I, it's it, what I'm saying it, doesn't it is, counter that or disagree. I'm saying it's worse because this is external. You know, does that make sense? Well, it, I, I think it's the thing is that when Christ did it, he acted. He he was doing it out of um, well, in so far as you want to speculate on his motives, he's doing it out of the idea of the servant king. So the the king, the the master who serves. And who, through humility, becomes more godly, um, and which actually makes the the implications of all this really fascinating, because it was Jesus who washed the feet of his disciples, 
And, you know, if you look at John 13, 14 through 15, whatever. Uh, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. So if this is an allusion to the, this Christian, this, this, this part of the Bible where they've described this act, they're essentially saying the white people are Jesus and the black people are his disciples, are the fallen humans who follow him and are elevated by his teachings. So it yeah. is really bizarre to be honest, because it's not really like if you if you if you follow the, the the full mythological context, that doesn't really necessarily say the black people are the ones who. I I, I get what you're saying. I don't think that they know that, and I don't think they care. I think they just want guilty yeah, white people to. It's a it's a it's an, an act, act of, of yes, it's an act of subjugation. I. I I get that if you put it in the larger context of the story and what was the meaning behind it, it would seem really bizarre, but I don't think that's actually how, like, I don't think that was the intention at all. I think it was simply to humiliate these people who wanted to be humiliated in the hopes that they would be forgiven. Yeah, so basically, that's the other thing. This whole new secular religion has its narrative of guilt and redemption. And, uh, and you know, it, it's just, it it... I know that there is a lot of horror and there's a lot of potential for horror in this. And I recognize that this is, this can be very horrifying, but it's also fascinating. If you think about it from the right perspective, we are seeing the emergence of a new secular religion with considerable popular support, apparently. So this is, this is like, it's a fascinating moment in history. I mean, where else can you see within uh, like a couple weeks, Millions of people start to devote themselves to a completely new, just, just boom, it's there. This is a thing now. This is a thing that we do in public. We wash the feet of black people and we bow to them. And we also, uh, what was the other things? Oh, we do liturg liturgical chants. Yeah. Um, uh, apologizing for our white guilt and our white privilege. This is something that now is happening. Yeah, it's 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 identical to the stuff that I that we have watched feminists do as as just as one example um, in within their own sort of like uh, in their bubbles, right? Where they you know <clears throat> engage in uh, empathetic shrieking for you know a, a woman or just women in the abstract, and they they engage in these like I, I they're like rituals, right? So they. They cry together for, you know, for women everywhere. They, they, um, they pretend to be, I don't know, uh, rape victims by, you know, bleed, like, like bloodying up their clothes, you know, and laying out. And it's all like demonstrative stuff, right? They're basically engaging in these rituals. Um, and the point of it is, well, for them is to essentially heighten the reality that they perceive uh, to so that everyone else does. But it's built on the same the same fundamental um framework and like uh when when uh and I'm, I'm using the feminist performance art as an example because i think that there is a, there's a strong parallel that you see because they do the same thing they engage in this symbolism they use religion religious frameworks to uh express their ideas you know when they you, you ever seen the the screaming feminists that make the banshee sounds into the microphones or the slam poets 
or the um you know the ones that i don't know like they they carry around uh, a doll and pretend it's an aborted fetus like they it's all very performative stuff and this stuff is basically the same except it's managed to break out of the bubble and it goes out in like the mass scale you know because this tragic what event has basically opened that up well we're we'll t i'm going to talk about my theory on why this is occurring okay. uh but i just wanted to find that one other one where they're doing the chant the uh the chanting do, do you okay. remember what i'm talking about yeah it's, um uh, just send me the link when you get it there, I, I, will. They, I will send you the link. well while you're looking for it there was something else too that i saw yesterday there was a um oh there was a a, a they had a, a massive crowd of people. Can I have a taste of Adam's Coke? Just subscribed. Well, thank you. Can I have a taste of Adam's Coke uh, for subscribing? So there, there was a. Um, uh, I saw a video yesterday where they had. There was a police captain who laid down. They were all doing this protest demonstration. Everyone laid down on the ground with their hands behind their back, essentially copying the you know, George Floyd and his position when he died. It's sort of similar to people aping crucifixes, right? Because, you know, Christ died on the cross, so we use the symbol of the cross to symbolize that sacrifice and that, you know, he died for our sins and all that. And they're basically aping that. And this is like the kneeling is another one that goes back to, you know, Colin Kaepernick that, you know, and, and it's all this performative stuff that's used to... um get people on board emotionally with these with these narratives anyway everyone was laying out down on the ground there was a massive crowd and there was a black woman a black lives matter activist it might even be this woman here with the uh yes it was yes this was actually part of the same that same day and she was essentially um sort of acting out uh george floyd's final words or at least what she imagines her his final words to be as he as he was dying and everyone else was laying there silently and it was basically like an attempt to say you know feel his pain be in the place that he was in when this happened and there's this really it's just extremely disturbing to look at and what is the purpose of that it's it is to spread this this emotional um well, I don't know. It's like an emotional virus, you could say. No pun intended. I know that there's real viruses out there, but it's it's to spread like the it has like an emotional contagion. Yeah. 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 It's it's okay. basically weaponizing empathy, which is all that this has been for, you know, probably since the beginning. But yeah, I'm I'm having some difficulty finding that one where they're uh, just let me let me see if I can. Did you send it, it to me before? Yeah, I think I did. So it's probably up in our uh, history here. Let me see. Yeah, um, it, it might be. Um, but it's it was just incredible to watch. And that's sort of when the penny dropped for me. Because I know that it, to to understand where I've taken the approach of, of um, the progression of this particular issue is I originally pointed out that feminists appropriate the victimhood of other groups of people using the progress, like using intersectionality. So no matter how much a black man is victimized, what black women are victimized more, which removes 
the masculinity from the victimization. And then it also removes the blackness because what makes them more victimized is being a woman. Therefore, their victimization is also shared by white women. And so they sort of use that as a way to purify or ratchet up their, um, their claim to victimhood. And, and then I was, uh, as I've been looking into the stuff that I looked into before, which I talked about in the previous sort of, ep the, 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 the spiritual precursor of this episode, which is the episode we did on the Tower of Babel and the Fall of Civilization, um, I realized some really interesting stuff. And watching this, this clip of protesters engaging in this, like this, litur this, this religious chant to absolve themselves of white guilt, and looking at that and seeing it in the context of what has been removed from our society, which is the Christian religion, and seeing how much this particular, like these, um, these, uh, these, this public outburst resembles or has drawn from aspects of, of Christian religion, it just, it just the penny dropped for me, and I realized that not only are feminists appropriating the issues of black men through the intersectional stack. What's happening is, okay, I'm going to do a little brief rundown on, on what we spoke about in, uh, in, in, in last, uh, last uh, I think it was Sunday. Uh, Brian, try to find that video if you could while I do that. Of, so, of what? Uh, the, what? Which video? The chanting. Remember the chanting? Okay, I'll try to find it. Uh, let me yeah. switch this to this. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, okay. All right, so what I spoke about was this idea, with the Tower of Babel, it's a story about how creating a symbol that challenges God destroyed language. And during that, um, that uh, which I suggest people actually listen to, during that stream, I talked about how in order to have language, in order to use a cheap signal like it has value, because we have... If, if a signal has value, it's trustworthy. So a peacock's tail is trustworthy because it's difficult to produce. So it's a, it's a trustworthy symbol of a peacock's reproductive fitness. But if a symbol or a signal has no, is, has no cost to produce, it actually is not trustworthy. It's, it, it, it's, un, it's not necessarily reliable unless it's easily verifiable. But words tend to be costless and very difficult to verify. So there's a problem called the problem of cheap signaling. How do words become trustworthy? And what I propose, and this, this, is, this is a theory that's original to me, is that the reason why words become trustworthy is because we feel guilt when we lie, when we present harmful untruths. Some lies are white lies, so those lies don't necessarily cause us to feel guilt. But when we express harmful untruths towards other people of particular groups, we guilt ourselves and it is that guilt that makes the lie costly and prevents us from lying which then makes us trustworthy but then the question becomes how do we generate the guilt that makes lies costly and the way that we do that is by having uh project projecting the judgment of a higher self or or another self or the group so if we're part of a clan we think about how the group will judge us if we lie to another member of our group. And then we feel the guilt and the guilt prevents us from doing so. So we, we, we engage in this pro-social behavior. 
and we can thus be trusted with language. If if we're in a tribe, then we have shared a shared history, we have a shared mythology, we have shared legends, we have shared gods, and all of these things construct sort of a tribal self that judges us if we lie to our tribesmen. Now, if we're in a much larger civilization, we have a god, and a god gives us rules that we abide by, and that often those rules include do not lie, or you know, don't lie in a harmful way. And we project the judgment of our God onto ourselves, and it prevents us from engaging in harmful lies towards the people that we regard as part of our religion. So if it's at each stage, we're looking at a larger and larger group that gets included. Clan members, we have direct understand, we have a direct relationship to all of them. So we don't want to lie to them because we project the judgment of the clan. With the tribe, we project the judgment of the tribal gods or the tribal elders or whatever, or the historical ancestors. And so we don't want to lie to the group, the, the people who belong to our tribe. People outside of our tribe are fair game, of course, because you know, it's not really a lie when you lie to them, even if it, no matter how harmful it is, it's not murder when you murder them because they're outside of your tribe. Morals don't apply because you don't have in your mind an entity that's going to judge you if you do bad things to people outside of that don't belong to that entity. If you, if you, if people don't belong to your God, you don't care as much what happens to them, presumably. You know, when you're when you're talking about a Christian God, it's more universal, although it's doesn't it doesn't work entirely. So anyway, the idea is that in order to have language, we have to have this construct of judgment in our head that we have this 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 entity that is judging us in order to have a society. We are judged by this entity and by 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 following the expectations, the moral expectations of that entity that judges us, whether it's the clan, the tribal uh, gods or God, we thus do the behaviors that allow for our society to exist. Now, for most societies, a lot, there's a lot of edicts or expectations around men and women coming together and having families, engaging constructively with the community, pursuing morals that support community uh, formulation and stuff like that. So if you look at the Christian God, there's all kinds of stuff about how and where you're supposed to have sex, how and where men and women integrate with each other, how sort of the relationship between men and women. And all of this is, is said to be given to us by God, by this, by this, this, this entity that we all carry around and judges, we judge ourselves by. And the, the ultimate what I wanted everybody to take from that is when you have something like a cheap signal, something like language, um, and you see it being used, there's a force that's keeping us using it. There's a force that's keeping us in the signaling equilibrium, which is the use of a signal, the reliable use of a signal. And we need to understand what that force is. And we, we need to comprehend how it acts on us to, to allow us to be able to use this cheap signal. Um, but when we're looking at a society like ours and we're looking at a progression throughout history of a loss in the belief in God, and that's really what we are seeing with our society. So it's very much like the, the Tower of Babel situation. You build a, a belief or you build a tower to God, then you're challenging God. You're challenging a belief in God that's based on the idea that God is unverifiable. And that's really what a belief is. It's 
this thing is unverifiable, but I believe in it. Uh, when you build a tower to, I don't know, sit on God's throne, you're essentially saying, yeah, God, God is a verifiable concept, which introduces doubt, which then progresses down the line to remove your ability to speak with each other. Um, because it takes you out of that signaling equilibrium. Now, what I think we're seeing here is we're seeing the progression of a loss of a belief in God because in many cases, we don't need God to explain natural phenomenon in the world. There used to be a lot of, you could create the idea of this, this mentality when there was a lot of mystery, this, this overarching mind that creates everything when there was a lot of mystery. When you didn't know why the seasons happened, you didn't know why Vesuvius blew up, you didn't understand this stuff. So you could offload that mystery and that sense of lack of control onto God. And it created this powerful psychological concept, which turned around and used judgment in order to be able to have a language, in order to be able to have a society. So when we lost that, and with the advent of, uh, of science, that one of the biggest problems of science, well, not problems, I won't say it's a problem. Well, it's a problem in that we need to figure out a solution to it, is that science doesn't propose that natural law has a mind that judges. God is a mind that judges our behavior. And through that judgment, it allows us to have these complex systems of trust. Because we know if someone's going to lie to us, they will feel guilt. So we can rely, for the most part, on their words you know we know that people are not going to use their cars like two-ton missiles to break you know to crash into their neighbors houses and loot them so we can trust people with cars see what i'm saying it's yeah it's like we need that 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 mis personification of mystery and the unverifiable in order to generate that sense of judgment that controls our behavior and allows us all to work in a society, in a system of trust. Now, what happens when God recedes in a culture and the, the culture that has been built up requires that judgment in order to elicit the higher self, the, be, the behavior that allows for everything that we see around us. We constantly sacrifice our immediate interests in the interests of maintaining systems of trust. Like I, I was thinking about this this morning. I was just thinking about cars and thinking about how much we have to trust each other to allow each other to have a two-ton missile. Yeah. If you think about it, that's a lot of trust. Because my, my neighbor, if my neighbor decides that he would like something in my house, he can drive his two-ton missile into the front of my house and I have no defense. So I have to trust that he's not going to do that. And he has to trust that I'm not going to do that. And we both have to trust each other to even have a car or even have a car that uh, the concept of roads and traffic laws that works. Because if that didn't, if that wasn't the case, nobody would allow each other to have cars. We would be constantly destroying each other's cars out of a sense of fear of what we're going to do with them. But that's not the case because we trust each other so much. And we trust each other because we are coming off of a society that had a very powerful psycho psychological imperative to, to not do shit to each other. You see what I'm saying? We needed that God tells us to turn the other cheek. You know, God tells us that murder is bad. God tells us that law, that lying is bad. 
in order to generate that that powerful figure in our head, that powerful sense of judgment, so that we don't do these things. Mm-hmm. And that's where a lot of our morality comes from. This is why Christians like Jordan Peterson, or I'm not sure if you would identify as a Christian, but individuals like Jordan Peterson talk about the necessity of God. And I'm not saying that we necessarily have to continue it in that way, but we do have to address the fact that we aren't actually solving this problem. We're not even looking at this problem. In fact, this is what we've done instead. Instead of looking at the problem of how do you create morality in a secular situation? And yes, there are people who are secular can be perfectly moral. But how much is that, is that part of being part of a culture that a lot, a lot of it still believes in this, this psychological element that they're being judged? I mean, you have to really ask yourself, if, and it seems like we do, if we need this judgment to even have something as basic as language, we need to feel guilt when we lie. And in order to feel guilt when we lie, we need to feel like there is a presence that is going to judge us when we lie, or we won't even have a language. You know, how much, how do we fix this? And how much of secular morality is really just an echo of that? And that as we go further and further from a belief in God, the echoes get weaker and weaker and weaker and weaker until our entire society just dissolves. Okay, so this is, and I'm not saying that we necessarily have to go back to Christianity, but I'm saying this is a problem we need to figure out. And the way that we have dealt with it so far, I think has been very unconscious. We have not dealt with it, essentially. We've said, well, secular people can be perfectly moral, which is true. Therefore, we don't have to deal with this problem. We don't have to create some sense of judgment, some sense of a mind that's judging others. We don't need to do that because, you know, smart secular people who are usually raised in a two-parent household and have degrees manage to control their behavior. You know, therefore, it's going to work for everyone. Everyone, including people who are raised in poverty without a father. That, that, that'll work for them, too. Uh-uh, no, it doesn't necessarily do. So, okay. I mean, and that's the thing. When you're talking about people who are very smart, have high degree of impulse control, that, that's a completely different situation than people who haven't necessarily, aren't availed of the, of the, uh, the benefits of being smart and, and having been taught compassion and impulse control from their fathers. And so the real question is what happens when we hit those people? with atheism, with a lack of a belief in this, this almighty that's going to judge you if you do stupid or insane or lie or if you steal or murder or rape. What happens when that, that concept ends up there with people who don't have necessarily the, the, the benefits of a stable upbringing and a father, in particular a father in the home? Okay. All right. Yeah. So you get you you understand you understand everything that I'm that I'm laying out. Do I need to explain anything in particular? No, no. Because I can no. go into what I've seen happening. So we have this crisis. 
we have never had a complex, a complicated society without this belief in this unverifiable uh, mind that judges us in order to elicit those behaviors that are required to maintain our society up to and including language. So, you know, we could lose a la- we could lose our ability to speak to each other too in all of this. Well, I think um, we, I think in a way we are losing that ability because yeah, we can't. That is no, because we can't we can't tell the truth. We can't communicate with each other honestly. Uh, when you do, people don't listen. They just tune it out. They throw tantrums. They start crying. Like we 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 are losing our ability to communicate with each other, even though we speak the same languages. Words don't even mean the same thing depending on who you're talking to. Like if I say, you know. I mean, pick anything. Like if I, I say racism, somebody else says racism, my definition doesn't work the same way theirs does. So we can't communicate about the topic. Mm-hmm. Equality doesn't mean is, anything, you know? Eventually, without that that ability to communicate meaningfully or to regard each other as beneficial, like if you don't believe in what they believe, they may stop regarding you as part of their group. Well, they already have, really. And then you start to see the evolution away from being able to understand each other, you know, because there's no longer an incentive for them to, to communicate in a way that you can understand. See what I'm saying? Yeah. So you start to see a language evolve away from understanding between groups. Um, And yeah, I think you're right. We are seeing that. And I think we're seeing the fact that they, they use language in a completely different way. Um, uh, in a way that's a little bit incomprehensible. And that's frightening because, no, we need to have a, a universal language. We need to be able to speak each other's language. And part of the reason why I say that, it doesn't matter what language, what actual language they speak. They, are, they, they speak in a way that if you're a part of a particular group, you're always lying and mm-hmm. you're never right. You notice that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Once they lose that charitability, you can never say anything but lies. You know, and it's it's scary. It's a scary thing to watch. But what I was going to say is the the way that we've progressed as a society in the face of losing the god that built us, that built the society that we enjoy. And what I mean by that is, you know, god will say you do xyz. And and you avoid indulging in a b and c. Okay? And then if we do X, Y, and Z and we avoid indulging in A, B, and C, if we, we, we attempt to live more in our higher selves than our personal immediate interests, from that we create a society that's functional, that has you know, exchange of goods, that's trusting. And we can have things like cars because we can trust each other with them. But we've never faced the fact that all of that was built on a belief in God. Now we have to do something. We need to go in there. We need to figure something out because what we're doing so far is we've let the belief in God wane, which is understandable because we're placing God that has a personality that, or not, it has not a personality, it has a psychology and judges us with science. Science explains everything, but has no judgment at all. And that's the first time we've ever embarked on that. So we've, we've, we've started to do that. We progressed towards that. And in the process, what's happened is this. Men have developed their own other. And when I, when I say an other, God is another. And we actually, when we other, we are more, we actually, in far, as far as I can tell, 
from my research, when we other, we're more likely to put the other up, to elevate the other and say, we should judge ourselves by the benefit, our benefit, how we benefit the other. So God is another, and we judge ourselves in, in terms of how we benefit God and uh, how we sacrifice for the, uh, for the, this, you know, how we, how we feel guilt and try to atone for our original sin. Okay. So when we other, we tend to elevate at the same time. When we, when we are actually trying to cast people out, we associate them with antisocial qualities, but we do not actually dehumanize them. We say they are all too human because they engage in these flaws. And quite often, when we are doing that to people, when we cast them in the role of sinner, we there's an intimacy there because we think they have we they, we think we share those sins with them but we elevate ourselves out of sin through experiencing guilt do you see what i'm saying yeah the sinner is a sinner not because he he engages in certain actions but because he doesn't feel guilt for them but we are better people because even though we engage in exactly the same actions we feel guilty that makes us better. Do you see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And um, so they project their own sins onto their scapegoat. And that doesn't mean they're, they're dehumanizing their scapegoat. It means that they're casting their scapegoat as antisocial with the, the sins that they themselves feel that they have. And you can see that here as well. What they're doing, it, what, what the white people involved in this are doing is they're saying, well, all white people have racism, but we feel guilt. The bad racists are the ones who don't feel guilt, but they're like us. They're just antisocial. And yeah. then they're othering black people. And they're saying, well, we should judge ourselves by how we benefit black people. Or we should judge ourselves not even by how we benefit black people, but how much guilt we have towards their suffering. And that's the other thing. That's like when I'm looking at this, I'm like, these people are not worshiping. This is where white nationalists get it wrong. These individuals are not worshiping black people. They're worshiping their suffering. Now, I don't know if anybody else understands what I'm saying when I say that. They I do. don't give a shit about black people. Yeah. They don't even see black people. They don't even see black individuals. They don't even see their individual moral choices. They're worshiping the suffering. That means the suffering must continue. Or this religion loses its purpose. Um, and I don't, I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like a really good deal to me. Mm -hmm. To have my suffering worshipped? Well, they seem to be so, okay with it, so I don't know what that means. What does that say about black well, people? Of some of them are okay with it. Like, I was thinking, I was looking at this, I'm saying, what? How many, how many black people does this actually benefit? And the reality is it does. It benefits the black people who are appointed its priests, the priests of black suffering. Yeah. Every other black person needs to suffer. And, uh, and any black person who speaks out against the suffering of black people, what happens to them? Who, 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 seeks, who speaks out against the deification of the suffering of black people? Not the suffering of black people, the deification of the suffering of black people. And says, well, no, actually, I feel free. 
or actually I feel like I, I have been able to overcome, or actually I feel like, no, I've had a pretty good life, or anything like that. They get mobbed. They are mm -hmm. actually lower in this hierarchy. Black people who talk about, oh, I actually like America because I feel free. I've been able to make a business. We have a family. We believe in God. We're working in our community. We don't want any of this deification of black suffering because we see what it does. You know, it, it causes riots, which then cause the economic depression and dad desertification of black communities. So we don't want it. Go away. And what do they do to them? They crucify them. They, they socially ostracize them. They throw them out of the progressive stack. So a black person who denies the deification of black suffering is lower in the progressive stack than a white person who worships it. Have you noticed that, Brian? Yeah. So you have an entire religion constructed around the suffering of a group of people. The but deification. Not even of the suffering. not even the real suffering of people. The perceived suffering. Well, of which people. and the perceived suffering actually is causing suffering. Yes, it is. They're creating the thing that they supposedly worship well, yeah, and, and empathize that, with. So of course that's going to happen because that's what they're worshiping. You mm -hmm. worship something, you're going to create more of it. You're, you're going to be inclined to create more of it and to keep it as this eternal thing. And so there, and, the, and again, the black people who are like, no, I don't want this. Mm -hmm. They actually end up lower on the progressive stack than the white people who say, yeah, I, I believe in this. I am going to worship black suffering. I'm going to worship black suffering. And this is, you look at this and you look at the situation with George Floyd. And it's like George Floyd is the new Jesus on the cross, suffering for our sins. That's exactly what it is. Until the next, until the next incident happens. And the thing, the, the, the difference, the yeah, the, the, the difference is, is that Jesus is just Jesus. But in this yeah. case, the, the whoever's Jesus is constantly changing because they need to keep things alive. It's like uh, things start to lose steam. So like the Ahmad Arbery, that was the, the one from earlier this year happened and they were using that to sort of push this narrative. But the story around, the, de the details around uh, Ahmad Arbery fell apart shortly after. So they didn't have enough momentum to do this. So they basically backed off of it and then when George Floyd happened, it and you know most people agree that that was injustice. Then that this was this is what they do. This is the cause. Like okay, now we can now we can go out because this narrative holds up. And when people, even people who are like you know absolutely sympathetic, when they basically say okay, I think I want to go back to my life now and you know get, go back to work and just do my day to day like my nine to five. When something else happens, whether it's legitimate or not, because that's irrelevant, um, it will be used as a catalyst to start this over again, and they'll put another man on the cross because it will be a man. Like I, I, I guarantee you, it'll be a man well, it's, when it happens. It's because it's because it's because it's uh, misandry and male expendability that makes the situations with men so egregious. Mm -hmm. And then they can apply that. It, they can take these things are happening. This happened to George Floyd because he was a man. Yes. And they're taking the egregiousness of that situation. And, and it's occurring because it's a man. And they're saying it's because it was his race. Well, I mean, 
you look at uh, Tim Tampa, I think it was, right? Oh, Senator yeah. To Tony, Tony Timpa. Same Tony exact Timpa. situation happened in like mid to late 2019. Uh, he died in the ex under the exact same circumstances, um, but he was white. So there was no story. Yeah. It was in Texas, I believe. Tony Timpa, yeah. look it up. So it's, it's the expendability of men that has caused the situation that they latch onto. It, 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 it's the expendability that made it so egregious and so indefensible. All right. So, and, and we're going to get into that, but I was going to say how society has dealt with the death of God, essentially, of the God that built this society, or built the systems of trust. And I don't Before... mean God literally built it. Before you change the subject, uh, we have some super chats. Do you want me to read them, or do you want to talk uh, about this first? Um, well, I might I might be at risk of of, of forgetting, forgetting what I'm going to say. Go ahead, because I'm you know like I'm a squirrel on ass or a squirrel on crack. So okay, um, I think I should probably just at least do the broad brush about this. Do it. Okay, okay. So we're in a society. We our society. The systems of trust have been made by a god or the psychological concept of a God. I'm not saying literally made by God, but they were the underpinnings and the foundation of our systems of trust that allowed us to have two-ton missiles and trust each other with them was originally underpinned by a psychological concept of God. Like this, this, this gray man with this big man with a gray beard on a throne that's going to judge us if we lie or barrel our cars into our neighbor's houses. Okay, so the response... And also, we may need God, a concept of God, to even have a language so to, to judge us when we lie so that we can be trusted to share a language. So we have to have this, this shared psychological judgment in order to even have a language. All right. So what has occurred as a result of the death of God and it's the superseding of the explanation of all the world through science that has no it has it isn't isn't a psychology it isn't a mind it isn't a judging mind science doesn't doesn't believe that exists okay yep what's happened is that the void that is created by that need for judgment in men has been filled by women in feminism it's why charles fourier in the time of this, uh, the, the psychological tumult, I mean, I think uh, maybe even a century before, he might have been killed for blasphemy if he had proposed this, that society be judged by the benefit towards women, but benefit that it affords women instead of God. So he was basically proposing, okay, God's waning, let's use women. And incidentally, this is like a no-brainer for men, really. Like, it's like, yeah, let, let's uh, let's replace God with women. That's that's like, yeah, that's 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 pretty much the default and it's almost like it's for men it's almost a toss-up if it's going to be god or their mother or their wife that becomes the judge the judge in their head you know what i'm saying brian yep absolutely they say god what is it god uh mother is god in the eyes of a child i think is the saying yeah um yeah oh so, yeah so it's like this is this is basically feminism was a no-brainer it's like I mean, originally, God was basically a, a, a compromise between men and women's interests in terms of family formation and, and maintaining community. Uh, so God judged both men and women when they strayed from the path that enabled family formation and, and uh, strong communities. But with the, the death of God, well, 
women just sort of filled the role for men because we're always sort of gynocentric anyway. We all men always want to provide and protect for women. It's why feminism works in the first place. Uh, because and ironically, what feminism denies is why it actually functions and works. So God, men just sort of put women in the place of God. Eh, eh, it's okay. I guess it's sort of a stopgap. It's not really that functional uh, when you place the, a woman in the in the space for where God occupied, because women are fallible human beings. So you're going to end up with a lot of weird distortions in your law, um, in your politics. You're going to end up with a lot of weird distortions in your truth, your systems of truth, like academia, and your systems of, of information, like media. And that's exactly what we've seen, because Human beings should not occupy the position of God. Um, mm -hmm. There's a reason why we offload a lot of this stuff onto the like unverifiable mind that we that we can't actually know really exists. It's because God rarely tells us what He wants. You know what I mean, Brian? Yeah. <laughs> he lays down some commandments and he fucks off. Yeah. And that's what's great about God. Well, that's but yeah, women, because women are always telling you what they want. They don't shut up about it. Yeah, and they always, if you are defining your actions by what women want, you'll never be done. Jesus Christ. For the very, well, it, it can be so, even if you find women who are, ask for reasonable things, there will yeah. be other women who don't. So it's always this constantly moving target. Mm -hmm. And it creates a lot of suffering and a lot of angst, and you can't really create a necessarily very stable society somewhat stable i guess a consumerist society being driven by what women want has been okay for the last 50 or 60 years i mean it hasn't been that bad it's it's created a lot of health issues mental mm -hmm. health and physical health issues um a lot of it's environmental regulation it, it's overall know. good but it's a mixed bag yeah I mean, it, 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 well, I mean, it's not overall good because it, it does will lead to worse. But while it worked, it sort of worked. It was a, a reasonable stopgap. That's what I will give feminism. It was a reasonable stopgap. The only problem is that it was only a stopgap. And here's, here's, here's where the next, next part of this comes in. So men sort of substituted women in the place of God. It sort of worked. Um, the, the sacrifice to that, of course, is all men's issues. We can't, when we center women's benefit as the central moral imperative of a society, we can't look at men's issues. So we can't look at the male half of what we used to look like. So God used to be sort of a compromise between what women wanted, what men wanted. And for the most part, bo both want to form families and have healthy communities so they were on the same page with that god helped them do that as a psychological concept you get rid of god you get feminism in men's voice disappears and it has to because now we have centered as the most important moral imperative women's benefit we can't talk about men's benefit we have to turn it into sin which is exactly what we did the only problem is that over time as you ignore men's voices more and more and more, while you expect them to occupy the majority positions of maintaining society, you are actually ignoring society itself saying, I have a problem. There's problems here that you need to attend to. And we're ignoring it because they're coming out of men's mouths, but men are the ones who are responsible for maintaining society. So it's sort of like you have maintenance workers 
and you completely ignore all of their reports. So, hey, by the way, the the you know the staircases back there, they're they're falling off. You know, you might want to attend to. Oh no, that's that is patriarchy. That's male privilege. The fact that you're even talking about that just proves that you are get heard. So shut up. You know, it's it's that's that's it's not it's not helpful. So while it was a stopgap, it was a stopgap that ensured that a lot there was a lot of societal destruction that was going to be occurring while it while it was a stopgap. But here's where it gets really this is a this is where the problem gets wicked as opposed to just problematic. Men got women. Who did women get to center as their um, that as their 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 to replace their concept of God? Who did women get? Well, obviously they didn't get God because we're not gods. Mm-hmm. And feminism sort of works. Like I, I know that a lot of women would center would would create this abstract concept of women's benefit and then judge themselves by it, but it just it doesn't really work that well for women to judge themselves by women's benefit. You see what I'm saying? It's sort of yeah. solipsistic, and it's also like, uh, okay, so I'm going to judge myself by how well I benefit myself. Yeah. It doesn't really work. So essentially we had this void in the psychology of women, specifically the elite, white, wealthy women who used to be Protestant. Bored. Yeah. And yeah, they're bored too. Uh, and they used to have all of that. There was like their psychology. Psychology used to be underpinned by Christian concepts, yeah. and, they, and the, the Christian concepts would give them the right to sort of moralize and and uh, and justify lynching. But regardless, um, which is the greatest irony of all of this is that this this deification of black suffering comes from the same group of women who used to cause it. Um, I mean, but not directly, because I, I guess these would be their daughters, essentially. But so they're they're the elite, wealthy, white, pro, formerly Protestant women uh, who are now liberal and deifying black suffering because they have a big hole in their heart where Jesus's suffering used to be. And yes, it's better when it was Jesus because, you know, his suffering is over, I guess, unless you think that his suffering continues in some kind of um cycle or uh spiritual realm which i really hope is not the case because that's horrifying yeah but black people can suffer forever you know well that's the point people who are suffering yeah that's the point they if if they ever solve their problems then you know the suffering goes away and then yeah then there's nothing to worship anymore and like get a bunch of people are out of their job and black lives matter ceases to bring in millions and millions of dollars in and these donations wealthy, these wealthy rich privileged white women would cease to have them there providing this this um this bomb to their, their the gap in their psychology uh, and i'll go a little bit further though just let me let me let me just uh i'm gonna make a note white privilege uh maintenance of the psychological construct and i'm gonna go come back to that but so we have all these women who have lost god essentially and they are the most powerful people on the planet i say people because they are 
the elite white women. They're, they're on the very tippy top. They're not like me. I have to work for a living. And they're not like uh, other, other people who have to work for a living. The, and they are also one of the largest demographics and the most psychologically powerful in Western society. A generation ago, they would have been the ones who were behind a lot of the lynching. But now they are doing something else, shall we say. And what's interesting about human societies is that while men generally make the society, they make the world, it's women who decide the God that that world is built for or built within. They are the ones that tell the stories. They are the ones that push the beliefs. They are the ones that say what you belong to. They are the ones that start to construct that mental image in your mind of judgment that allows you to choose your higher self versus your lower self. And in choosing your higher self, create a society that is possible, you know, we, that we can trust each other with two-ton missiles. So these are the most powerful people on the planet, quite literally. They are the ones who select the next god. Mm -hmm. And they have selected... Uh, they have selected the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man. <laughs> well, oh, it, I mean, it just popped into their heads. I mean, you yeah, know, just, like... it was the most innocuous thing they could think of. Yeah. <laughs> no, they have selected to deify black suffering, and thus it shall be. Well, deify black suffering, deify trans suffering, deify LGBTQ plus suffering deify Muslim suffering, but right now black suffering. So they are deifying the suffering, just like they deified the suffering of Christ on the cross. And there you go. They could, I mean, if, if, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, people actually listened to people who talk about men's issues or men's rights activists, we might've had, we, we might've actually gone a different route it could be that women as a group, not just white women, white elite women, but all women would have started to judge themselves by how well they take care of their men or how loyal they are to their men or how well they deal with men's issues, how well they stand by their men, how well they incentivize their men's pro-social behavior. We could have had that, which might, I don't know. I mean, we've never done it before. In all of human history, we've always sort of had a God and that God spoke a little, you know, and created sort of a, a compromise between men's and women's issues and still judged women by their treatment of men. We've had that. We've never had that kind of direct, okay, let's, as women, why don't we put men in that role? You know, let's, let's put them right here and say, well, does this benefit men? Am I being honorable towards the men in my life? Am I making sure that they are provided for and protected in a social capacity? So to make sure that they are not being socially ostracized for things that are not justified, et cetera. You know, we've never done that before. We've always had God to do that for us. Yep. And because we did, we can't do that because we're feminists. You know, we can't have God because we're atheists. We can't have men there because we're feminists. And incidentally, that doesn't mean that men are uh in put in the place of god because men are doing that to women so you got women doing it to men so 
women judging themselves by how well they benefit men and men judging themselves by how well they benefit women, of course. And then yeah. what happens from that? But we, we never even, we never even went there. We never even tried it. Instead, we've got our super elite women deciding that they're going to deify the suffering of an entire group of people. They're just their suffering, nothing else. Just like, yeah, yeah. Suffer. Enjoy. And ironically, I'm going to be completely honest with you. I have looked at all of, all of I've, I've looked historically, I've looked around the world, I've looked at different demographics. Peace, prosperity, and civil society, all of these things are a one-to-one -one correlation with how well women treat their men. One-to-one. Those, those groups in which women stayed married and happily married in, in many cases, well, that was the, that was the um, chart that you showed initially when I said, oh, that was the wrong chart. Those communities are still wealthy, they're still peaceful, they're still prosperous. So if we actually did ever embark on a social experiment and women said, you know what, I don't need a god, I don't need to deify the suffering of an entire group of people, like deify their suffering. I don't give a shit about who, what, what happens to them, but their suffering is so beautiful. Keep it. It's luscious. It's delicious. I need more of it. Rub it all over myself so I can feel guilty for their suffering, but do nothing to actually end it. Maybe if we tried the social experiment of putting men in that place. Um, and from what I've seen, when we do that, we actually get peace and prosperity, innovation, and all kinds of great things from it. And the communities that have continued, the women have continued to do that to a certain degree are still enjoying the, the benefits of it. Whereas the communities in which women no longer stand by their men are hellscapes. You might want to consider that maybe, maybe this, was, this was something we should have given a little more thought to. You know, putting men up here, maybe for women, might have been something we shouldn't have just jumped over and said, no, absolutely not. That, that's, that's impossible. No, no, no. Just deify the suffering of another group of people. That'll work. And incidentally, deifying the suffering of the people who believe that they are, they are harmed by society, therefore we're going to destroy all society and retribution, that's got a, it seems to me that it's got a limited shelf life in terms of a future. Um, I think that all of these experiments that we're now doing, like Minneapolis, I think the, the, the uh, city council has voted to disband the police. I think these social experiments that we're, we're embarking on. Now, I am an anarchist, so I'm like, hey, let's do it. But at the same time, I know that it's not going to be done right. No, because be the, the people who live in these, um, you can't just burn down a church and turn the priests and nuns into atheists. And that's what's happening. So if you want to live in a, in a peaceful anarchist or libertarian society, you don't just tear away the government because that's how you get, you know, like Somalia. You, 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 the people who live in these places are not, yeah, they have to evolve out of it and they're not at that point. They're, you know, so no. no. Um, so yeah, this yeah, is, this I, I is not a good idea. That's exactly what I would want to say. 
I would want to see us to evolve out of the need for this level of government or this level of policing. Yeah, but we have to that evolve that cool. way. And the only way that's going to happen is exactly what you're saying. We need to, you know, we need to start to ask women to put men in a position where they basically say, well, what can I do for them? Right. Well, how you, can I uh, be honorable towards yes. them? Yes. How can I honor them? You know, I was thinking, um, I was wondering, do, are you saying something, there's a, there's something that jo is it? No, I'm sorry. Jesse Lee Peterson, Reverend Jesse Lee Peterson says, uh, he said, it's, you know, God above man, man above women, women above children. And I know that he's, you know, he is a very conservative guy and he's basically like describing what he believes is the social order. Um, this is not, is that not quite what you're getting at? Well, the thing is, if you take God out of the picture, which I'm not sure we can revive God mm -hmm. at this point in time. So we might be just have to say, okay, sayonara, we got to be a little bit more conscious about what we're doing. And I don't know if that'll work, but I do know that this isn't going to work. Deifying a group of people suffering in order to maintain the psychological toolkit. And this is really what white society is like white elite society is doing. They have a particular psychological toolkit that maintains their prosperity and their wealth and their peace you know that they have it and they're now using the suffering of the black community to maintain their own privilege that's what's really chilling about all of this because before it would have been their belief in god and the suffering of jesus that enabled them to generate the psychological toolkit that maintains their privilege but since nobody believes in God anymore, they just put black suffering in their role. And so as long as these elite privileged white people were, uh, promote this, black people will suffer and they will be privileged. And they will literally use the suffering to privilege themselves. And that's what's chilling about this. And, and, the, and, and cities will burn Police precincts will be disbanded. So the last lifeline to law and order, to any kind of ability to have any kind of economy, shops, because these communities, I don't think this is this is the problem with the the anarchist. Yes, I agree. We should evolve out of the police. However, those communities, the police are the last lifeline they have to being peaceful it's basically oh. the last vestiges of a father figure that's being taken out because when you yeah. they've already destroyed the father as a concept they've destroyed the family the police became like a paternal figure in that it was just there to keep the peace as it were so they weren't really like fathers but they were treated as though they should take on the role of a paternal figure that essentially corrects bad behavior and then they remove that and, that, and honestly that really shouldn't be what cops are for um but like that is kind of what happened because there's no dads around so now that you've taken the cops out it's like you've taken the last vestiges of anything that even remotely resembled a paternal figure from your community and maybe it's what needs to happen to ask and answer these questions. Like, yeah. I know that a lot of people were saying they would prefer to deal with gangbangers than cops. Uh, I would prefer to deal with neither, personally. And yeah. I, I'm a little skeptical that uh, a society entirely run by drug cartels is really going to be that much better. Like, I mean, we could ask the Mex Mexicans if it is. Um, 
I, I suspect they would have a different answer for you. But so that that's the thing. Like it's like here we are. Um, so elite white, the most privileged. Well, I guess Asians are more privileged, but they don't need our weird religions to maintain their their uh, their uh, their ability to create prosperity and they family. Got, and they got tiger moms for that. Yeah, they got their tiger moms. Um, the but uh, for these elite, the most prosperous white people, most prosperous elite wealthy white people are going to use black suffering to maintain their privilege, and they're going to do it through this this new religion that they've created. The only problem is that it sacrifices the rest of us because we're not going to have, well, outside of I guess if you flee to a rural area, we're not going to be able to live in cities. Um, it's looking like like the, I mean that might be an exaggeration, but there's nothing checking the force of this religion, and this religion's request appears to be the end of policing, the end of the army, and complete control over the neighborhoods, which means everybody else that isn't part of this religion is going to have to leave. Whew. Meanwhile, there's the economy. We haven't even begun to talk about that. Are we going to talk about that now? No, not today. But um, oh. I, I, I have conveyed as much as I think I can. Please send your questions in super chat if there's anything you think I need to address about this. I, I'm putting this have... out there. Okay. Oh, go, no, right. no. Go ahead. Finish. Finish what you're going to say. Well, I'm putting this out there because I want to hear what you have to say. Um, I, like I said, I think that the most powerful, the most psychologically powerful group of people, white, wealthy, elite, liberal women have now chosen our God. Um, and they've chosen it in such a way to maintain their social station and privilege. Um, and this is, this is why I disagree with right, white nationalists. They're not deifying black people. They're deifying black suffering. And there's a lot of black people who see through this nonsense. Well, uh, and speak I, out against I, it. I happen to disagree with white nationalists too, but more well, yeah. more broadly. <laughs> yeah, the problem with white nationalists is this: they don't they're, see this. But you know what? They no, they don't. But but they're not. They're white nationalists, so they're clearly not like thinking anyways. And there aren't that many of them, so I really don't care what they what they believe. But one thing I did want to to say is uh, I have actually heard and um, seen uh, studies that claim that religion. Like Christianity is making a big comeback, and that uh, people are are uh, re religion is returning to the mainstream, and that's been going on for some years now. Now I I, um, I don't know how true that is, but I have heard that more and more people. I think like in computing forever made a video about the God pill, uh, but more and more people are are taking the God pill. I don't know. I again, will it matter? I don't know, but I have heard that that uh christianity is making yeah. a comeback so well what's what's happening is smart people are going back in some in some cases um not all smart people but a lot of people are seeing the benefit are actually smart enough to see the, the historical benefit to the to the belief system it's actually you know like i i think we threw out christianity a little too quickly um and um certainly maybe we should have said you know how how can we how can we um, keep reforming in such a way that we maintain society while embracing the essential Christian concept of helping those who are in need and those who are not served by society? 
you know that 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 would have been an interesting for an interesting thought experiment um i would say that and this is this is shown in like the average iq of the the average christian the the average iq of the average christian like a couple of generations ago was lower than average now it's higher then but then there's the problem when your christianity is coming out of your ability to recognize what is beneficial to society, your ability to to control your impulses and think very logically and rationally, um, you still have the issue of what happens when atheism hits people who don't do that. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And and those I don't think those people are coming back. Something else has to happen. I don't know what, frankly. I just this is my analysis of the situation. Um, I find it, if I'm going to be honest, I'm like, you know, I have tried to bring attention to the issues that would have stopped us. If we had had a genuine conversation about men's issues and genuinely talked about how society and women can help men deal with these issues. And these are society's issues as well. In fact, they're women's issues as well, because women and men are incredibly tied to each other. If we had had that discussion um maybe we wouldn't be at the precipice of a of a very apparently very populous secular religion that central goal seems to be the destruction of western civilization but we're here now so this is the timeline that we are going to do and uh good luck to us <laughs> what else can i say i mean i've said this is a problem i said this this narrative is going to destroy your society for how many years now i said that the church of women worsting we got to address it you know and barely we'd we we in this week in uh the uk parliament there were mankind uk who tries to help male victims of domestic violence tried to get a hearing while they're talking about domestic violence. And even though feminists recognize that one third of, of domestic violence, at least, is male victims, they aren't even invited to be part of the discussion on male on uh, domestic violence. They're completely cut out. It's like, this, is, this society will not talk about men's issues. It will not address them, but it looks like that's gonna be what kills it. So, batten down your hatches, don't 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 buy into these new secular religions. I'm sure there are going to be others. Um, as the uh, the most psychologically powerful group of people on the planet casts around for whatever god is most useful to it. Um, and uh, good luck to us all. Okay. Okay. Some super chats. All right. Uh, so uh, egregious Charles gives us five bucks and says hi. So hi, Charles. Hi. Jo- Jojo's groaning down there. That's not me. I don't know if you guys heard that, but he groans. Zeranx gives us $5 and says, I'm having white people wash the feet of, in having white people wash the feet of people of color, there's a demand implied that the former tend to the latter. Uh, yeah, yeah. Es- essentially, yeah. Um, Zeranx gives us $5 more and says, we see this with how feminists demand things from men. I've received odd looks when I've equated people of color to women with regards to race relations. Yeah, it's built on the same structure. It's just using a different angle of attack. And all, and by the way, all this intersectionality is 
is it, you know, just as a side note, it results in the erasure of male suffering. So, like, it just erases male suffering and misandry by basically calling yeah. it something else. Be calling it homophobia, calling it Islamophobia, calling it racism, calling it, you know, xenophobia, and whatever. And then worshipping so that, yes. It's like, it's so bizarre because George Floyd... What happened to him happened to him because he was a man, most likely, like almost probably 95 percent. Yeah. Well, including like his life choices and the way he was raised and, you know, all of these effects, because he was like he had a single mom and she beat the crap out of him. You know, like the, this is all the, the product of those same things. So, yes. Yeah. So what happened to him happened to him because he was a man. But we can't recognize that in our society. But we, so we associate it with his race, and then we deify the suffering of a race. That we have white women deifying the suffering of this, and it's so, they're essentially deifying a men's issue, but they're calling it a race issue. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, we're almost there, almost, almost, oh, just one step, and we could, we could, we could take another run at the brass ring, ladies, just one freaking step. But it's quite a big step. It's the step over the chasm. So yeah, we'll see. I, I I'm sorry. I'm like I I'm probably bringing people down. Um. I and I apologize for that. But um. I have been feeling really down lately. Let's I'll put it that way. All right. Uh. Well, I say human beings are resilient, and I think that we will figure this out. There will be suffering. There will be suffering. But I think that we will figure this out. Uh, Natty Kadifa gives us five pounds. Hi, Natty. How you doing? And says, every ideology worships a deity. Feminism is Lilith. Extension, Extinction Rebellion is Mother Goddess Gaia. LGBT, Pan, even atheism. We cannot escape it. Yeah, a lot of atheists, they actually worship the state. So whatever that, however that manifests, you know. Um, King Nimrod, perhaps? I don't know. Uh, the Great Indoors, 1979, gives us five euros and says, could this be seen as Atheism Plus coming full circle, or am I being far too simplistic? Haven't seen the first 15 minutes. Atheism Plus coming full circle. I think it's, um, oh, uh, here's, okay, here's a bit of brightness, okay? We got to figure this out. I mean, and I think we will. You're right, Brian. We will figure this out. But the way that will be figured out is we are going to have to bring men's issues back into the equation. Yeah. And you're right. We're going to suffer. That's why and I'm that's, that's why gonna I'm going to suffer gonna... until it happens. Yeah. Because like literally those societies in which the women are stand by their men, promote their men, value their men, are the most prosperous, peaceful, and evolved. I mean, that's really what differentiated the society that's, that Rome sprung out of from every other society of the era. It's what, you know, you look at Alcoa and you look at different communities around the United States and you see that. The more the women stand by their men, the more prosperous and peaceful their community. Full stop. Yep. I mean, it's obvious that what will solve this problem is a re-emphasis on fatherhood, on women's loyalty to men, a re-emphasis 
on recognizing that the issues that men face instead of offloading them as racial issues. I mean, and it, the funny thing is, is I think women, they, this is a psychological hunger that women have for an other to judge themselves by. It used to be God. And that's probably, our God probably came out of a psychological hunger for women to have another to judge themselves by 2000 years ago. You know, and whatever else, even nationalism might have pro comes out of that probably. You know, your mother teaches you to be a proud American. And can do you do right by Uncle Sam and Lady Liberty, et cetera? You know, that's that is that is where it comes from. Yeah. And that hunger is an eternal. It's always been filled by gods or nationalisms or ideologies for women, but it's eternal. And we have never tried. Well, hey, you know, there's a group of people that have sort of evolved beside women for all of human history and really function as their biological other. Hmm. I wonder what would happen if we did that. <laughs> if yeah. we actually made men women's other. Let's get rid of the God. Get rid of the middlemen. Get rid of race. Get rid of God. Get rid of um, ideology. Let's just get rid of the middleman. See what happens. Who knows? You know, this can, we can we do when we do something completely new. New, maybe it's just the right thing to do. You know, maybe. I don't know. All right, next but, super chat. Oh, go ahead. I just wanted to add one thing. You know, with the religious, you know how um, people say that uh, you can't like there's a mystery. You can't understand the mind of God. You can't understand the verify unverifiable. There's a mystery to all of our supernatural or um, divine ideas. Yeah. Have you noticed that, uh, you know, like, oh, shoot, I've got a phone call. Um, just a second. Can you, uh, sorry. Oh, my God. Hello? Uh, no, there's no Karen here. Sorry. Got, yeah, wrong number. Is that was that like a was that no, some the man was that somebody's manager? No. <laughs> Did you hear me say Karen? Oh. Yeah, man. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so the that's oh. that guy's like the reverse Karen. He's like the manager looking for her. Uh, okay. Um, well, that yeah, was weird. Can you hear me now? Yes, I can hear you. We heard the whole thing. Shoot. Yeah, I don't know if you were trying to mute, but that's it didn't work. Give me a second here. I can hear you, Allison. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry. Um, I'm just okay. Discord. Discord loves to play interesting games with my input device. Um, I was actually using the wrong microphone this entire time. I'm sorry, guys. All right. Yeah, that is that Karen. There used to be a Karen who lived there, so I keep getting calls for Karen. <laughs> can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. I'm just. Thinking okay, about that. Somebody... It's Providence. Yeah, just thinking about it's... that. It's like Yeah. <laughs> All right. So what I was gonna say is that there's like this this idea of the mystery at the in the in the at the center of God, and we can't understand God's mind and that we can't understand the unverifiable because it's beyond us, even though we know God has a mind that judges us. Um uh and you do you notice that kind of attitude or that kind of belief coming out with black uh, Black Lives Matter and white people, I I can't understand yet. You remember like the skit from um, from South Park with Token? Yeah, uh, I I I know the skit. 
where he basically okay. says, "You don't get it." I don't it. get. Yeah. You, know, you don't get you, it. You don't get it. You don't yeah. get it. And he and it sounds. And at the end, he's like, "Oh, I finally get it. I don't get I it." Don't and he's like, "You get it." Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's like there's this idea of this estimate, like this privilege position. Mm-hmm. A point of view that, yeah, you, that you're black not, people occupy. It is like God because you're not allowed to question it or try to analyze it or understand it. You just have to accept it based on faith. Yeah, yeah but here's the thing. Here's the really interesting thing, which white nationalists don't understand. And to probably uh, because of that, they'll never be able to construct an actual working society. These, this, this whole construct, not understanding black people being the mystery uh, white people having guilt over the situation for black people. All of these things actually function as a psychological toolkit that generate wealth, prosperity, and peace for um, privileged white communities. Like they need this, just like they needed Christianity to underpin um, their privilege. They need it. Um, and they're getting it from black suffering. And I, white nationalists don't understand that. And I know you don't want to talk about because they're so such a small number, but I find them fascinating because they're an edge case and I love edge cases. Mm. Um, and uh, they don't understand this. They don't understand where this is coming from, where this, this worship of minority suffering is coming from. They don't realize that it is actually coming from white women. And the problem is that let's say they get what they want. They have a society where they've kicked out everybody who isn't white. And their women still don't have an other. Like they can go back to Christianity, but the problem with Christianity is Christianity is like all people are one in God. So it, it's, it opposes the idea of white nationalism. And a lot of them I, I find are atheists. So you go back and you have these women who have no other. And who's going to be their other in a society without black suffering or where black people have been kicked out? Either men are going to have to step up, which means they have to acknowledge their vulnerability and their victimhood, which is something that white nationalists have problems with, I think. Or there is going to that this psychological the psychological toolkit won't be developed to create social stability, prosperity, and peace, and these white women will simply just start identifying subgroups to to eradicate. Because these this is a psychological toolkit that's required to create a stable society. Without it, you don't have a stable society. You basically just have a paler ghetto. Okay, I'm just putting that well, out there. Let me ask you a question. How do black nationalists fit into that? Are they also hmm. doing the same thing? Because there's a lot of them, and uh, Black Lives Matter is basically run by them. They're, they tend to call themselves, they're, they're black nationalists, but they also call themselves pan-African, um, you know, uh, revolutionaries, pan-African socialists, etc. But yeah, exactly black, black nationalism uh, is also a thing, and it's a big and thing. Exactly the same problem. Yeah. With uh, if you're going to run a narrative that your race is oppressed, and therefore you're gonna you're gonna construct a victim a narrative, if you're gonna construct a narrative of victimhood and use that to justify uh, isolation, an isolationist policy, um, it's gonna have, have exactly the same problem as I just outlined with the white nationalists. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, we got to figure out how to live together. And we got to and we got to integrate men's issues into our psyche and and stop like this is it. Like and I don't even know if this is as much driven by women as as sort of a, a thing between women and men. So I wanted to show you something, but we can do it after the super chats. 
Um, All right. Yeah, I'll show you after the super chats. It's All really right. interesting. So it's a lot of fun. Go ahead. Let's do the super chats. All right. So that was uh, Great Indoors, and the last super. We only have one super chat left. Uh, Great Indoors, nineteen seventy nine, gives us five euros and says, "Women seem to deify the Burning Man in the desert of the self-absorbed and screech in an atonal fashion." while it burns and turns into ashes you know that reminds me of this film and i've talked about this film a couple of times but the movie um midsummer which is a horror film about this uh group of college kids that go to a uh swedish cult for like i don't know a vacation because a friend of theirs and the throughout they they slowly uh, disappear and it, it turns into a literal burning man thing at the end with and it's actually quite a feminist movie which makes it extremely disturbing i i i don't want to go into it too much but what you're saying is actually quite reminiscent of that even the uh, the the um self-absorbed screeching happens in it it's pretty it's pretty retarded so great indoors 1979 gives us five more euros he just gave us another super chat and he says could this explain the rise of karens in society searching for the ultimate manager to bring them deeper meaning to their chaotic lives Oh uh, no! Maybe maybe the next of, time I get a call. Essentially, the uh, rise of busy busybodies, right? The next so. time I get a call, maybe I'll grill them on the nature of the Karens. It's yeah, like, uh, is Karen there? No, but I have some questions about Karen. <laughs> Existential questions. Do you mind? Oh man, no! I keep I, I don't know what it is. I just keep getting calls from some people who are looking for Karen. Yeah, <laughs> like, maybe they think I'm Karen. I don't know. I'm the ultimate Karen. Mm. okay and you're not actually All karen right. yeah i guess right. so so you sent me a thing yeah i sent you a thing all right just uh yeah put that put that twitter thing i sent up and so this tweet was in response to ang who i actually want to get on um if she, i think i've asked her i don't know if uh if you've asked her just uh select the select the tweet that he's responded to if you may, oh, you'll see. Um, you just this? have to click on him. Oh, oh yeah, yeah I've read this one. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. So Ang says, oh, you read it already? or I've uh, seen this tweet. I've seen this Ang tweet. I think I got, I think Twitter told me about it or something. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah. So, yeah, she says, at Freethinker Aang, uh, clearly a black woman. She says, the root problem in the black community is fatherlessness and a lack of male leadership and good role models. You think black lives matter? You want to help the black community? All right. Throw feminism in the trash and let's uplift our men and help them see that they have purpose. Of course. Okay. This, and then we have uh, Shy6996. This is the worst take I've seen today. Uplift your men and help them see that they have purpose. Why do black women have to do all the heavy work in the community? Half of our problems have to do with black women continuing to take the role of men. You really want to throw that feminism shit out? Let black men be men. Let them build up infrastructure. Let them let take care of their families and stop fucking babying them. You and your fellow toxic femininity sisters want to mammy for black men so bad, but I bet you hate being masculinized. Wow, this guy. Who is this? I know. And he's, if he's you look amazing. at his, go take a look at his Twitter. Um, I, I responded to him. But is that Drake? With a, okay. That he's a he just take a look at just take a look at his timeline i'm looking at it i hope i don't come across any dirty things though 
So it's like so worship. Looks like he's worshiping black. Some raw dogging interracial. The, there's a list. there's a bunch of um some some worship of black women in it. Yeah, he really, really like he's a white guy. Really, and you know that's fine. Is he white though? I'm. I. I mean, he might be, but that picture. I don't think that's him because it looks like somebody uh, took a picture of Drake and put a bunch of filters on it. Okay, maybe you're right. I don't know who Drake is, so there you go. He's actually but, he's one of yours. There there aren't many famous Canadian hip hop artists, but Drake is one of the few. And I'm glad that I don't like. Uh, <laughs> I'm not yeah, yeah. All right. So okay. So I responded. I, I don't know if you can see my response there. Uh, uh, oh, where oh, where is it? What do I have to click on? Is it okay, your response to the the worst take part? Is that what you clicked on? Hold on, no, hold you really on. want to throw the feminism shit out. Let black men be men. I think that's what she was saying, but I think that men still require women to actually incentivize that. I mean, here's Why, the thing. What, what incentive do black men have to suddenly be men. be men and just like take care of shit? If black women are constantly demonizing them and calling them oppressors and calling them like, you know, ain't shit niggas and all this other stuff, like... What incentive do black men have? Like this guy, he he gives he gives um black men so much agency and black women none because he seems to think that black it's everything is on black men and black women they have no effect on what black men do and how they, you know, respond. I mean, black men respond to incentive just like any other man does. If if they don't think that women are are if, if they think that black women hate them, and, and uh, you know, because I went through those, remember those abuses that I was looking at that, that black women were sharing? Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, like, why would a man want to be better? What's the point? Black women aren't going to reward it. I can't find your response, Allison. Uh, okay, just click again on the Twitter link that I sent you, and you'll see it. All right. I think yeah. this is... Okay, let me... Let me uh, just click on directly on that link, and it should pull it up. It's uh, my responded below his this list of uh, grievances for black women, um, you know, and uh, it's, Sorry, it's a situation. Well, when you when you don't have the family formation, when you don't have the strong community, you get like these situations. Just uh, in in our chat, there's a link to Twitter. Just yeah, click that. I just did. This is it. This okay. is what it opened. Well, that's what the heck is going on? Because when I click it, I just, oh, okay. So just click on it. It's so much easier for you male-identified women. Click on that. Yep, got it. All right, there you go. Just read uh, that. Ah, okay. Yeah, there we go. Your response? What do you mean yes, by male-identified? Do you mean we recognize the power women have in society? Oh, I, um, actually read uh, his, his tweet. Oh, Did his tweet? tweet? Okay, let me yeah. read his tweet. I just found this fascinating. Just, just really... Oh, interesting. Okay, go ahead. All right. It's so much easier for you male-identified women to focus on black men, this and that, instead of spending a second caring about the abuse or rape stats plaguing black women. More than four in ten black women experience physical violence from an intimate partner okay. during their lifetimes. What? You want me to well, not yeah. read the rest of that? Well, yeah, they experience I mean, uh, significantly higher rates of psychological abuse, including hum humiliation, insults, name-calling, and coercive control than do women overall. Sexual violence affects black women at higher rates. Black women face a particularly high risk of being killed at the hands of a man. 
Okay, so, and they face a higher rate than white people. And yes, it's black men who are doing a lot of this stuff. But there's it's also black women who are doing a lot of child abuse yeah. and sexual violence against black boys. Yeah. You know, it's, it's what happens when your society deteriorates because you're not forming families and you're not attending to the, the fabric of your communities. And a huge part of that, again, there's one group of people that for the most part can create, can make black men fathers and husbands, and that's black women. They're the, they're yep. the ones with the power to do that because yep. there's only one group of people that really in mass can marry black men and give them children. I mean, I guess white women could do that, but then you wouldn't have black families, would you? Or black communities. Yep. Uh, you'd have white families and white communities because that's apparently how the narrative works now. So, yes, there is there is something there to be said that maybe uh, don't eat the poison fruit of um, a religion that wealthy white women are using to maintain their their the psychological toolkit that maintains their privilege. You know, they're using your suffering now, like they, you know, it was fine when this was all God, because God, I hate to tell you guys, God's probably not going to be hugely affected by us saying that he's engaged, he's, he's eternally suffering. It's what we decide about God doesn't really affect God, but what white people decide about the black community does, does affect them. And these people, these these white elites, are using black suffering to maintain their their the psychological toolkit that maintains their privilege over everyone, including people like me, who are not part of the elite. Um. So you know that that's a thing, and uh, I think that to be quite honest, the only way out of this is to embrace men's issues, and to start to build another. Like once again, God used to be a a compromise between women and men that allowed them to create families uh, and create, have a, give a structure to their relationships so they could be successful. We need to go back to that. But that means we can't just say, well, we're going to center everything on women now, women's benefit. We actually have to listen to men. We can't have these situations where they completely lock out male victims of domestic violence. And we got to listen to men, not just because they're doing shit for us or they're listening to our problems or they're solving our problems. We got to listen to the things they have to say about what they need and what is hurting them and how to fix it. So yeah, it's time for a conversation about male victimhood and vulnerability. And if we don't have that conversation, we're stuck with secular woke religion instead. And yep. enjoy the end times. A secular woke religion that's decided that society needs to die. Like that society is the problem or rather it's not, this black suffering. Isn't the problem, but uh, I, I don't even want to say like, I, cause I, I can't see the elites really getting hurt that much by this, but uh, working class white people are the problem. Poor white people are the problem. Um, uh, middle-class white people with shops are the problem. Like anyway. Yeah. So that's my analysis. If you, if you want to, if you want to make commentary, do it in the comments below. We probably need to get out of here. Cause I know Brian's 
got lots of stuff. He's got interesting things afoot for you I all. Do. And he wants to get to it. Well, I got to get ready for it. Uh, so in case you guys uh, are interested, and I hope this hasn't changed, but I don't think it has, at 6 o'clock Eastern time, so in about a little less than three hours, like two hours and 45 minutes, I am going to be on Freedom Main Radio talking with Stefan Molyneux uh, about basically a lot of the stuff that Allison and I talked about. The reason why the conversation around Black Lives Matter, around these protests, around the riots, around race are the wrong way to approach this for everyone. And if we don't start talking about gender and we don't start talking about men specifically, this problem is going to become a lot bigger than just the black community. It's going to, it's already impacting everybody else, but we're just mm -hmm. seeing like the start of that collapse and that there, there has to be a shift. So, oh, um, oh. I got, I got, I got, I got just a sec, just a sec. It's coming to me. It's coming. Okay. All right. The reason why in it, just setting aside the fact that the end goal for this woke religion appears to be the destruction of law and order in Western societies, which will mean the destruction of Western societies. Let's just set that aside. Worshiping black suffering does not help elite white people or any people produce healthy families and communities. Therefore, it has no future. Yeah. It's just, it's just going to destroy everything that exists now and leave nothing in its wake. And in order to have a future in which we start forming families again, men have to be consulted and their issues have to be considered because they're, they, they reflect the problems that are choking our society to death. And if we don't listen to them, we can't solve them. And we can't, and it, it's hard for men to do this too, because men get attached to a particular identity of strength and they feel like it's their only worth. And it's rather unusual to find men who can look past that and just muscle through it and be like, no, actually, uh, I don't need that as much. We can talk about these issues and I, I don't have to take personal responsibility as they, they're a personal failing. I can recognize them as a way that I am acted upon, which is incidentally, you know, I know why men sort of reject that because it's sort of a feminine quality. But it's, it doesn't mean that you have to lose your masculinity in order to set those boundaries. You know, femininity is about recognizing how people act on you and expressing it. But you have to have that coping mechanism in order to be able to express healthy boundaries. And, you know, a certain learning that coping mechanism, that feminine expression is just adding to your toolkit of skills. It doesn't make you feminine. Um, and, but I know I can see why there's a lot of resistance to it as well. But anyway, I wanted to put that out there. Okay. It has to be done. Otherwise, I mean, it's probably the most brave act at this point in time. Yep. Is to, to be able to, to be able to move past an identity that's been made for you and seek something of your own. All right. So uh, we should wrap it up then. Yep. As long as there are no more super chats. No more super none. chats. 
So, uh, yeah, we'll wrap the show up here. Um, thanks, guys, for coming on this episode of the Comfy Cozy Community. Oh, 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 before you do, there is one thing I think we should show before you go. Okay. Just give me a second. I'm going to find it. I'm pretty sure I know where it is. I know exactly where it is. It's in the live show chat. What it is the last it? Link I've, last link I sent. In the live show chat? Yeah, in the live show chat. Oh, I, I know the thing you're talking about. Hold on. Yeah. Hold on. Okay. This is what the black community needs. Yeah. No, watch it. I'm, I'm, I'm just saying. So, so for those of you who are listening to this as a podcast, it's a little black kid who's going completely nuts because he's, he's upset. He's got a boo-boo. And then his father, who is also black, not white. Does does the dad thing of like just just going going nuts, um, or not going nuts, but uh, like just pretending to to yeah. get really upset and cry, like he's hurt, and the kid eventually stops crying and goes, "What what what are you doing? Are are you okay? Are you okay, Dad?" <laughs> and it's very cute. It's uh it's dad trolling, you know what dads do mm-hmm. in order to teach their kids how to control their emotions control their impulses yeah and have concern for other people is that that's what this guy's doing and that's what the black community really needs more of is um dads teaching their kids that sometimes it isn't that bad and sometimes it's better to uh to learn to control your emotions and care about other people mm-hmm all right. Okay. So, uh, if you guys enjoyed this content, please hit like, subscribe if you're not already subscribed, hit the bell for notifications, and leave us a comment related to any and or all of the things that we discuss on today's show. Uh, I want to thank Allison for coming on. I thank you guys for joining us. And with show? that said, yeah, if you want to, go ahead. Okay. And if you enjoy this content, please go to feedthebadger.com. We're doing the monthly show to make sure that Brian, Prim, and Hannah are able to do their work. Or the monthly uh, Shillathon fundraiser, uh, feedthebadger.com slash project slash badger media blit, ma- me- the slash badger dash media dash blitz to go to the monthly fundraiser. And you can also create a subscription. Subscriptions are really helpful for me because it allows me to spend less time promoting fundraisers and more time writing content. But yeah. I am working on some new content for the main channel which I hope you guys find edifying. Is that the right right way to put, is that the right way to say that word, edifying? I like the word entertaining, but like, yeah. Entertaining. I guess edifying is good. But, but, you know, know, like substantial in an intellectual way. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, something to think on, something to chew on. Okay. All right. All right. Thanks, guys, for coming on, and we'll talk to you guys in the next one. Bye. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.